For some people, this is just a game, right? It's a game you love, it's a game you play your entire life. You relish the opportunity to play on the stage. Uh, when you work on your craft and really dedicate yourself uh, to what you do, when a big moment comes, you don't shy away from it because you know you're prepared. Tiger was written off years ago. He was written off by everyone. That gave him doubts about himself and who he was. But I'm, I'm happy he was able to overcome it. It's a, it's a great story about being able to rise. His job is to literally change the game. He's a starter who comes off the bench. You know how hard it is to score 20 points a game in the NBA, let alone do it in under 30 minutes? That just shows you how versatile he is. Welcome to the Horse Grant episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 54. Currently in Oregon, uh, preparing to take off for a flight to Oklahoma City in the coming hours. So thankful to be able to record this podcast before we take off. Um, things are going well for us right now in the playoffs. Currently up 2-0. Got a big win last night over the Oklahoma City Thunder. A lot of guys stepped up offensively, defensively. Coach has uh, put together a pretty good game plan for us and, and, and figured out ways for us to take advantage of, of certain matchups and situations. Um, the other playoff series have also been amazing. Uh, a lot of great games to watch, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing more games tonight. Uh, without further ado, I want to welcome Jordan Schultz to the Pull-Up Pot, as always. Mr. McCollum, what a night. What a night. 33 points, game high, 22 shots to get it. Very special, 12 of 22. Um, needless to say, congratulations. I guess more importantly, how do you feel uh, afterwards? I feel good, man, honestly. I'm in a good spot mentally and physically. I've done a great job of taking care of my body, um, getting as much sleep as possible, treatment in between games, you know, dieting right, making sure I'm putting the right stuff in my body and just you know, really locking in on, on the game plan uh, and then how we can execute offensively and defensively. So... Uh, we've done what we're supposed to do by, you know, taking care of two games at home. Now we got to go on the road and uh, understand what's at stake here, understand that they're going to come out and and really challenge us, and we got to be ready to meet that level of intensity. Dame said um, that he knows a series doesn't start until you get a road win um, as, a, uh, as a road team. So do you think that there is a shift at all in the way you're going to go into game three, being on the road, knowing that OKC has to come out like gangbusters, or do you keep the same mentality? I think our mentality stays the same, understanding what we want to accomplish and what we, what we wanted to accomplish coming into uh, this season and in previous seasons and what it's going to take to get it done. Obviously, winning on the road is hard to do, especially in hostile environments. Uh, you have to bring a, a higher level of intensity. Your level of focus has to be higher. you got to be more engaged, and your energy levels have to increase because it takes more uh, to win on the road. It's louder. It's harder to, to kind of convey play calls and, and execute certain things. So energy has to be there, and you got to be willing to withstand one, one or two runs that, that always come when you're playing at home. How about the fact that Nurk comes into a film session, which is normally – that's a pretty sacred uh, place, right? Like, it's very rare to have a film session interrupted. Yeah, definitely. No one walks in once those doors close. So when the doors opened up and we see Nurk uh, walking in, uh, it, was a, it was a sign of fresh air, you know, a sight, for, a sight of fresh air just to be able to see him, you know, up moving around uh, outside of the house and just kind of see a smile on his face uh, made us happy and, and kind of lit us up. Did he, like, I, you know... I know that you've been going to 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 spend some time with him. You you watch some Bosnian television with him. Uh, <laughs> you know what, what 
what has his mindset, uh, you know, approach been, and how have you, how have you helped him? You think keep his mind away from that, the fact that he's injured and from basketball. I think the biggest thing for Nurk is just to really focus on himself right now. You know, focus on rehab, make sure he's dieting properly because obviously he's not able to exercise the way he would normally be at uh, this point in the season. But just keeping him fresh. Keeping him fresh mentally, you know, being able to watch Bosnia TV shows, Netflix shows. He's a <clears throat> he's a big Game of Thrones fan, so uh, we actually you know FaceTimed each other after the uh, the most recent Game of Thrones episode to just kind of talk about what we thought, what's going to happen, who's going to live, who's going to die, <laughs> things of that nature. But uh, just just keep just keeping things light, man. Uh, life is life is great. Life is fun. Obviously, this is a uh, a tough situation to be in you know getting hurt and the severity of the injury and the timing of it but he's a strong individual he'll overcome it for sure and we'll be there to help him every step of the way so got my take on got game uh season 100 and episode one is um what is going on with brand uh, i'm a little <laughs> confused by him i was quite perplexed by his his performance uh, what did you make of brand in in episode one because I, I was a little rattled spoiler alert for those who haven't watched game of thrones up to this point uh you might you may want to fast yes. forward but um i've heard a lot of interesting theories on brand i've heard that he's the lord of the light i've heard that you know he's he's the one who who has the best odds of of sitting on the throne when it's all said and done, according to some some different types of odds that were released in Vegas. Um, he's got an interesting personality. I love how you know he locked eyes with the uh, Kingslayer. You know, towards the end of the episode, and they kind of just looked at each other, and then the memes that followed were hilarious. So it's it's a nice setup for future episodes, uh, depending on you know where they want to take this. Obviously. You know, five or six episodes left. There's going to be an intense battle. There's going to be a lot of killings. There's going to be a lot of slayings. There's going to be a lot of a lingo or people talking about putting babies and kings in bellies. So it's it's going to get better, and I look forward to it, man. I just I just hope that they don't string us along too much longer because I need action. And I'm watching Billions on Sundays as well, so that, that's kind of giving me uh, a change in speed. Yeah, see, I didn't feel like... Um I guess I didn't feel totally satisfied after the first episode, but that's the thing. If you go back and you watch the Game of Thrones season premieres, a lot of times you're you're kind of getting everything set up for a big season of action. And so they did a really good job, I thought, of addressing like everybody in where you know, Westeros and and where King's Landing and just everything that you needed to see. But I'm not sure I feel like totally satisfied and i'm a little worried that maybe season two or episode two and episode three are also going to be slow and you know what i mean like it just didn't quite feel like we got enough out of the first episode yeah i wanted more i'm not gonna lie i felt like they let us down a little bit but i think the introduction was necessary just to kind of refresh for those who haven't watched previous episodes that it was like a, a year in between uh, season seven, so I think that they wanted to kind of set the stage. But another question is, when is Jon Snow going to tell uh, his little queen that he's a Targaryen? I know. That they're actually cousins. She's going to flip. <laughs> She's Everything is so, like, peachy right now. You know, they did that whole dragon excursion together where they were looking at the world and they could have stayed there. Dragon excursion. But she's going to flip out when she finds that out, right? When she finds out he's actually the king. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be hilarious. And they're cousins. Yeah. Well, the cousin thing, like, they 
they made it clear that they don't care about that at, at this in this stage in the world. I don't know if this is the past or the future or whatever it is, but but she's gonna flip out regardless. Absolutely, absolutely. So do you do you believe that? Do you think that Bran is like that he made Winterfell and that in the Wall and and all this? Like, do, so do you buy these theories? Man, it's hard not to. Honestly, he just seems. So wise beyond his years, obviously, you know, the three-eyed raven stuff, you know, going to the tree, having the visions, being able to literally take over people's minds and control their bodies is an interesting skill to have at this point. <laughs> and the fact that all those people have kind of sacrificed for him to live and, and up to this point just kind of shows the importance of that character. You know, he was pushed from a building and survived. He was essentially disabled and was able to travel across the kingdoms. You know, through yeah. thieves, through White Walkers, through through people uh, people coming back from the dead and trying to kill him. There's just so many different things that he was able to overcome. It, it seems like he has the the highest of powers, you know, in this show. I wonder what he would make of Jennifer. <laughs> this one's for you, uh, Jennifer. Man, he probably would like Jennifer. This one's for you. I love Jennifer. <laughs> Shout out to Jennifer. Yeah, how about Jennifer's a national treasure? I mean, listen, the fact that we that we're revisiting this a year later is not only great for Pull Up Pod, but it shows you how much you use that as motivation. I'm trying. Jennifer has now become <laughs> has now become this one's for you, Jennifer, and and it really feels like national media is is into it. National media loved it. Uh, Royce actually caught me off guard with the question. I had I had completely forgot about Jennifer. Jennifer was the last thing you know our team was thinking about. You know, we were just trying to figure out how to execute our game plan, uh, figuring out how to continue to stick to our tendencies and and uh, make it as difficult as possible on the Thunder. And uh, Royce asked me the question in the press conference, and all I could do is laugh and not really give a great answer because it caught me caught me completely off guard. Your reaction was great though, because clearly you. you yeah, you weren't thinking about it, but it, it brought back some some memories. It definitely brought back some memories. I hit him with the Kawhi laugh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Kawhi laugh. Yeah, you you, you really it's did the, actually. The Kawhi laugh. <laughs> um. Okay. So you know who's not laughing is Jared Allen. He took a serious elbow from Joel Embiid. Um, in game two, and what I what I thought was interesting was when Embiid was asked about it afterward, he started to have a serious answer and say he was you know sorry, but then Simmons started laughing and then Embiid broke down laughing. It was a, it was kind of it was a little strange, um, and I don't know if like there's going to be um, I, I guess there haven't been fines, but this is the kind of thing where the Nets are certainly calling the league and saying. Embiid should be suspended. Uh, they're trying everything possible to make this into something bigger. Um, do, do you think the Nets retaliate? Will there be some kind of a crackback or maybe something else? Like what? What's the aftermath as we move forward in this series? I don't think they're going to do anything to punish him. Uh, what's done is done, I believe. You know, based on the flagrant they, they assess, maybe a fine, maybe, but highly unlikely, just because they're about to play another game soon, and uh, this will all be kind of forgotten about. But I'm sure there's some players on the Brooklyn Nets team who who may retaliate, may take a hard foul, or just to kind of send a message, let them know that what he did wasn't appropriate. And I think, 
you know, the laugh was is questionable. I'm not sure what they were laughing about. Obviously, you know, you'd have to be inside their team. There's probably a lot of team team inside jokes that go go along with being around your teammates for so long. I think Embiid talked about how uh, Ben Simmons was laughing because he's never humble. And he was apologizing for something he did and kind of showing his humble side. So that's why he was laughing at him. But, you know, we'll never know. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is that Brooklyn stole a game on the Sixers court and are going home now um, to play in what could be a, a seriously closely contested uh, playoff in which Brooklyn could potentially upset the 76ers. Yeah, I, I you know, I'm not seven feet and 280 pounds, but when you – I've talked to enough guys, big guys, that they say when they when they make a drop step or a spin that they know exactly, you know, what what where that elbow is going, and you know it might go into, uh, a, you know, a nose or the chest, but it's it's a lead elbow. Um, it wasn't accidental. I don't know if it was entirely as dirty as it as he maybe he meant it to be, but I, listen, it was a strange play, and and the bottom line is the Sixers. They can't afford to have any suspensions. Um, fines is one thing, but they can't afford to have suspensions. This is about bigger. This is about bigger than the first round, and it just was. It struck me as an odd press conference. I, I must say, um, another huge comeback uh, last, last two nights ago. Clippers, Warriors, thirty-one points down. Did you catch this game at all, CJ? Yeah, I actually watched the entire game. Uh, I was watching the game and, and watching the film on my iPad, you know, throughout the game. And just the, the chippiness of the game, the way Patrick Beverly competed, you know, the Clippers are you know, the type of team to where they're, they're never really out of a fight. Uh, they've had comeback, they've had comeback uh, victories, you know, throughout this entire season. And I think it, it just kind of shows you uh, the way they're coached, obviously the type of the players they have, the grit they, they show every night. They're never really out of a fight. Never really truly out of it. And I think Lou Williams talked about how they were just trying to chip away. Just slowly chip away at the league. Chip away at it. Give yourself a chance. And they're playing with house money. They really have nothing to lose. They're playing with house money. The Warriors have everything to lose. They've been able to uh, essentially kind of get inside Katie's head a little bit, you know, with some of the some of the extracurricular activities that are going on. Him and Patrick Beverly were ejected in one game. They both fell out in the next game. Uh, Katie, who's essentially unstoppable, has been mildly contained, not in a sense of, you know, shooting bad shots or anything like that. He's had turnovers. He's had foul trouble. He seemed he seemed to be, he seemed to be a little, I don't want to say rattled, but passive. He seemed a little passive, only taking eight shots in the game. You know, a guy who can create a shot whenever he wants to. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he responds after that game. You know, I expect him to, to really come out and be the aggressor, uh, in, in game three, I think he's going to really be aggressive. I think the point of emphasis and focus will be on, you know, getting him getting him going early, uh, taking advantage of when, you know, whatever whatever situations or matchups they may have because Patrick Beverly can't guard him one-on-one. He, they're going to need to send double teams because of the height difference. He can shoot right over the top. And I think um, Doc Rivers knows that. I think Patrick Beverly knows it, which is why he's trying to be as, as physical as possible, trying to get up under his skin. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this series pans out. I think the Warriors... Obviously, you know, shout out to Demarcus Cousins, who's you know going through uh, an injury right now, a tough injury where there's they're not sure on the timetable. You know, doesn't deserve this. Has definitely you know rehabbed and worked hard to get back and to get injured again is is tough and it has to be extremely frustrating. So 
uh, praying for you, Boogie. But I, I think this is a good series. Um, when you have Blue Williams, a player who can create a shot uh, whenever he feels like it against any type of defense, you always have a chance to win the game. He's a closer. He's a guy who can keep it close, you know, for four quarters. You got Montrez Harrell, who's a pit bull. He goes nine for nine, gets 23 points and 10 rebounds, hits some clutch free throws. You got Shams. What's his name? Shams, the shooter. He is. Oh, Landry Shamich. Landry Shamich. He's fearless. I like him. He's fearless. Yeah, he's tough. He's not gun shy. He's tough. Yeah, I like I like the roster the way it's set up. And the ironic part about their roster is that their center was uh, kind of like a castaway. You know, they the, the Lakers. The Lakers, yeah, the Lakers gave him away, and he's the starting center. Crazy how life works. Zubox is really good, really good player. Young, uh, athletic, decent hands, good feet. That you're right. I mean, that was like a giveaway. They didn't even. It was almost like they, they didn't even want him at all. And in fact, I, I could make the argument that the Clippers stole him, like you said, and also that the Clippers may have stolen Landry Shamit because they traded Tobias for Miami's pick and Shamit, and we all thought, at least I thought, well, now the Clippers are going to start to focus on the offseason and trying to get their best free agents possible. What a story they've been. I mean, it's kind of a an island of misfit toys that have come together and, and created this really good, cohesive team. Um, but to come back from 31 is, you know, in the Warriors building, CJ, that that stuff doesn't happen. I wonder if there's if that's what the Warriors needed, if that's what Steve Kerr needed to show his team that they're not 100% invincible. And to your point about KD, eight shots is just, it's it's almost inconceivable. I mean, Clay took 11, KD took eight. That, that can't happen. It just can't. So, I mean, how much of that is Patrick Beverly being the pest that he is because he's such an elite defender? And how much of that is Kevin having to say, like you said, I'm, just give me the ball. I, you know, like, I don't care about anything else. Just give me the ball, and I'm going to go get you a bucket. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, Patrick Beverly has tried to deny him uh, touches for the most part. He's fronted him. You know, he's hugging him when he doesn't have the ball. He's just trying to be as physical as possible and take him out of plays early. And I think he's, he's been able to get underneath him. You know, when he catches the ball and tries to square up, he's right underneath his chest. Uh, and he's just kind of like that little annoying, you know, person that's always around, but his intensity level is high. He can test all passes. He can test all shots. And he plays hard. And he knows who he is, and he knows why he's in this league. I think for KD, it's just about being aggressive and not getting caught up in the antics. Obviously, any types of push-offs where you extend your arm, the refs are calling it. They're watching the game closely, trying to monitor it and keep it under control. So uh, he just got to be smart. And I think that, you know, you're talking about a guy who's averaged 25-plus for 10 straight years, a guy who's averaged 30 in a season and has one MVP. He knows what he needs to do um, to get himself going and to get this team going. I think the fact that Draymond and him didn't do media is indicative of their mindset going into game three. Uh, they're definitely pissed off. I think that Clay said it best, you know, guys are guys are upset about what happened in this game. And and I think that it's, it's a sign of, of things to come for the future. Uh, this definitely probably woke them up, and, and people were making the 3-1 jokes because they, they blew a 31-point league, and they were up 3-1 in the Cavs. So I think that's triggering old memories, and um, that's that's a recipe for disaster for the opposition when, when you have an angry former champion. 
you know, coming coming into your building. I think that's going to be an interesting game. And uh, I just wanted to point out Vincent Johnson from Twitter. I don't know who you are, but this was a great fact. Before this season, no team had more than one 25-point comeback win in the season since play-by-play data became available in, in 1996-97. The Clippers now have three 25-point comeback wins this season. Wow. What did, what did Doc say? He said they're like cockroaches. They don't die. They multiply. <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. And he said this is his most, his most, uh, what do you say, his most trustworthy team in a sense of being able to to combat. Yeah. Well, yeah. Different I mean, types of obstacles. If you, yeah. It, it, not only that, it's also, um, it just shows you that you don't have to have, um, you know, superstars to win games. Uh, if you have a team that is cohesive and plays together the way they do. I mean, they have a lot of really good players. But like I said, when they traded Tobias, I mean, there that was a message to a lot of people in the league, I think, that said, you know, we're just going to focus on this summer. And I just give them a ton of credit. Lawrence Frank, Mike Wingard, the logo, Doc, just an, an unbelievable job, regardless of what happens uh, the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the playoffs. Um, and also, you know, Gallo's been unlocked a little bit as well, averaging 20-plus really the whole year is the best year of his career a field goal percentage points everything um i've always liked him a lot he's i think he's a really good player and now that he's the go-to option and he's healthy he he's been terrific as well do do you think that the clippers coming home for game 3 is there any doubt that the warriors are going to give their absolute best shot and then that the clippers can maybe withstand it like how how do you see this playing out i definitely think the the warriors are going to try to throw the first punch you know, playing on the road, it's going to be a hostile environment in terms of the crowd being involved in it, role players playing better at home because they're more comfortable, star players usually playing a little bit better at home as well, understanding that uh, they got more help around them. They uh, have that home cooking, you know, you're able to eat your chef's meals, you're able to sleep in your own bed, you're able to drive your own car to the arena. All those things kind of factor into your comfort and your psyche going into a game. I think the Warriors are going to try to throw the first punch. They're going to come out in that first quarter really aggressive, and historically they've been the best third-quarter team in the NBA. Uh, they get out in transition. They, they force turnovers. They shoot the ball better. They get more assists. They do everything better in the third quarter. So the Clippers have to be able to uh, withstand that run that's coming in the first quarter, withstand that third-quarter knockout punch, and you'll have, a, you'll have a closely contested game. You just have to kind of manage – you know, open shots, you know, not allowing Clay, Steph, Katie to take open shots, just making sure they're all contested because they're going to make shots regardless. They're going to hit tough shots. They're going to hit open shots. They're going to get free throws, but you just have to make it as difficult as possible. Hope you can get one of them or two of them in foul trouble. And then just keep the game within arm's reach. Keep the game within arm's reach. You got Lou Williams who can hit big shots down the stretch. He's, he's uh, virtually unstoppable in the pick and roll. You got Shea, 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 who I love. You know, he's got a great pace. He's fearless. He hits mid-range shots. He can hit the three uh, with time and space. And you got another shooter. You got Garrett Temple. You got all these little dogs who are just waiting for an opportunity to, to kind of put themselves on the map. As you said before, people are talking about how the Clippers don't have a superstar. They have an underground legend in Lou Williams. You're talking about a guy who's 
been getting buckets for 13, 14 straight years, came out of high school and is still playing at an elite level. Uh, one of only, I don't know, two or three players in the history of the NBA to average career highs, you know, 12 years into the league, 13 years into the league. Uh, I think it's him, J.J. Redick, and maybe another guy who's been able to increase their averages to career highs, you know, 10 plus years in the league, which is kind of showing you that, you know, he's he's only getting better with age, only getting more poised, more consistent, more versatile uh, with age. And there's a reason why uh, he's won six men a year and will probably win it again this season. CJ, Lou Williams is really one of those guys that uh, scores consistently at a high level, and he does it in so many different ways. You know, uh, step backs, floaters, even when he's not necessarily uh, on balance, he still is. In other words, he could be leaning back uh, or, you know, stepping back and still find a way to get square to the basket, which is just really tough to do. He's really deceptive. Uh, he's one of the great scorers in the league. Like you said, South Gwinnett High School never went to college. Is he one of the toughest covers in the game? Yeah, consistently. He's crafty. He got a handle. He can shoot threes. He can finish around the basket. He got mid-range. He's the type of player that can score at all three levels. He's going to get five assists a game. And his job is to literally change the game. He's a starter who comes off the bench. He comes in, he changes the game immediately. The guy averaged 20 points, five assists in 26 minutes per game. You know how hard it is to score 20 points a game in the NBA, let alone do it in under 30 minutes? That just shows you how versatile he is. He can get to the free throw line. He's drawing the, the toughest defender every night. He's only 6'1", 6'2", skinny, pace is crazy. Historically, he's like to go, he likes to go left. Because uh, he can drift away and shoot that little fadeaway that's unblockable. But his pace and his, his ability to manipulate ball screens, get to the cup, finish over the big, uh, draw, the, draw the defense closer to him and be able to hit Montrez Harrell, who's automatic in the paint, who's having a career year and is also a six-man candidate. The fact that the, the Clippers were able to get Lou Williams for $8 million and Montrez Harrell for, I don't know, 4 to $6 million just kind of shows you uh, the, the type of bang for their buck they're getting. Uh, Lou Williams is a gamer. A guy who's scoring 30-plus in playoff games, making $8 million a year. Grossly underpaid, grossly undervalued to this league. And I think Montrez Harrell and him are, are in for uh, a nice treat, you know, once their contracts are up. Yeah, Harrell just signed last summer, um, to your point, did not get paid and really is setting himself up well for a for a young guy that is that has a relentless battery. I mean, he, he's like an Energizer Bunner. But he's like Energizer Bunny. He he is unbelievably uh, impressive for a young player that was not drafted very high. Um, going back to Lou is uh, do you? I don't know. I I can see some similarities with you and him. Uh, the ability to go left as well, and some of the some of these odd angled shots, the one foot runners. Have you taken some? Because I know you like to to study guys' games. Have you taken some of his game and put it into your own? I definitely have. Um, when when Lou's playing on TV, I try to watch, man. I try to watch. I think that we can all learn something from different types of players, how they score, you know, their mentality, how they approach a game, how they manipulate a pick and roll, ISO moves. You know, he's got a variety and array of uh, ISO moves he can go to, you know, getting to his right hand, being able to stop, pump fake, come to two, fade away, lean, you know, one leg floaters, being able to do that inside foot. So when you're driving left, you put that shoulder in their chest, you big step left, right, and you fade off the right foot, falling away. It's one of the more unblockable shots 
that uh, you can have in your arsenal. I know LeBron does it a lot. You have to have good core, good stability, good ankle, hip movement, and be able to lean and have the strength to put it off the glass or, or go for the swish. And I think Lou Williams is one of those players who, regardless of circumstances, he doesn't panic. You know, you see after the the thirty point, thirty one. 31 uh, point come from behind victory. He just kind of strolled into the t- tunnel, smooth, dapped everybody up, was pictured eating some arena nachos, which is, you know, no offense to the arena nachos, but that cheese, I don't, you don't know how long that cheese has been in there, <laughs> but it just kind of shows you his mentality. Chilling down, knees wrapped, on his phone, probably checking his mentions, eating some nachos after the game. That's how cool and laid back he is. Like the, For some people, this is just a game, right? It's a game you love. It's a game you play your entire life. You relish the opportunity to play on this stage. You relish the opportunity to have the ability to hit big shots in the playoffs or miss big shots. And I think the real ones, the ones who have dedicated themselves to their craft, who have already failed multiple times and are fearless. Like, when I step out there, I'm not thinking about missing shots. I'm not thinking about turning the ball over. I'm hooping. I'm following the game plan to the best of my ability. I play as hard as I can. I prepare myself. So that way, when I step on the court, I know I can't fail. Regardless of the result, I can't fail because I put myself in a position to, to do everything that I'm supposed to do. Being aggressive, locking up defensively, understanding the game plan, understanding what sets we want to run, understanding what sets they want to run, and how I can capitalize on each possession. And I think that, you know, the guys that you see have most success, like a Kawhi Leonard, he's fearless. He prepares tirelessly. There's rumors that he's worked on one shot for 90 minutes in a workout. Just a fallen jumper. Left, drive left, put that shoulder in your chest, fade away. Uh, When you work on your craft and really dedicate yourself uh, to what you do, when a big moment comes, you don't shy away from it because you know you're prepared. You feel like you can't fail. You feel like you've put yourself in the best position to have success. And I think you see Kawhi Leonard do it. I think you've seen Kyle Lowry approach this game two completely different than the way he, he approached game one. From a mentality standpoint to an aggressive standpoint, he shot a free throw within the first two minutes. That, that tells you that his mindset was, all right, I need to be more aggressive, get downhill, get an easy basket. He shot two threes in a row. He was attacking the basket in transition. He looked like a completely different player. He looked like Kyle Lowry from the regular season. And I think the criticism surrounding his zero points, the fact that they lost, that was all fuel to his fire. And when you have the ability to fail and overcome it, that really shows the true testament of your character. Failure is an essential component to success, but you need the failure in order to understand how to win because you must first understand how to lose. And if you don't learn from the failure, then you're going to keep failing, right? Right. And you know, insanity is doing the same things over and over again and failing, which means that when something doesn't go well, you need to change up what you're doing. Change it up. Change up your routine. Change up your mindset, your mentality, what you're doing, the reps you're getting, the amount of hours you're putting into your craft. Something needs to change. And then you should get different results. But a lot of times we do the same stuff and think that different results are going to come, which is insanity. More show on in a minute. But first, support for Pull Up with CJ McCollum comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your own story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. 
Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their websites. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash pull up to get 10% off. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, back to the show. Tiger Woods, how about that? Failure, failure, failure. That was dope, man. Now Super he's on dope, top man. of the golf world. He won the he won the Masters. I mean, can you believe it? Fourteen years apart from winning a major, which is the longest ever. Uh, he's in his forties. It's a remarkable story. We actually were watching uh, before game one. Just Tiger had his red on. You know what I mean? He was strolling out there. Swag was on a hundred. And you could just kind of see the bounce in his step. It was like watching a National Geographic. You know, halfway through the majors, he wasn't in first place. But you could tell he was crawling up that list. He was he had his eye on the on the on the guy in the number one spot. And I think they had their eyes on him. They were kind of looking back, like, is he gonna catch me? And sure enough, he did. And I think it's a great story for people who have gone through a lot of turmoil, you know, have been doubted, who who have been counted out. Uh, I think the commercial, I I I retweeted, you know, one of the things they played and it basically shows all the pundits, you know, different media members talking about how Tiger's done. He needs to retire. How they they've considered him a former golfer. Five years ago, they started considering him as a former golfer, and it's a commercial they replicated, basically saying all these negative things about Tiger and Tiger sitting in a chair watching it. And then at the end of it, he kind of smiles and laughs, and that kind of just shows you his mentality was okay. They think I'm washed. I've had back surgery. I've had ACL. I've had MCL. I've had Achilles. I've had all these problems. You know, I've had some issues in my personal life. I've lost sponsorship deals, but nothing, nothing's taken away my joy, my love for the game, my ability to prepare. And talking about the ultimate athlete, all those cameras around, all those people following him. I can't go off on my own by myself on a course. You're talking about a pro being able to, you know, block out all those distractions with everything on the line, be able to get eagles in the clutch. You know, putt game was strong. All those things, you know, kind of turned out in his favor. And then Nike uh, being able to put out that commercial right away. And then Sports Illustrated putting Tiger on the cover with no words. That's when you know you're a transcendent figure in this in this world where they put you on the cover and there's no, there's no title. It's just you. He is everything... <laughs> That is everything right with with sports. That's why we watch sports, and that's why we love it so much as fans. And it sounds like you guys were were fans as well. That I mean, when you have someone that great fall that far 
and have to come all the way back. I mean, I think that's more impressive than what he did in 1997 as a 21-year-old when he won by you know all those strokes. I mean, it, to come all the way back is the hardest possible thing to do. Definitely, and you're talking about me who knows nothing about golf but just being at, being on the course seeing how difficult it is to to put the ball in the hole is, is extremely difficult no matter how close you are putts close putts long putts for him to be able to do some of the things he's done and, and golfers in general just kind of shows you the amount of hours they put into their sport the, the amount of hand-eye coordination they have and the ability to to make pressure shots and pressure situations is remarkable the moment after when he was able to embrace his son and his daughter right around uh, the same spot that he embraced his dad in 97. That was the most special thing I, I've seen. I mean, I, I to be honest, CJ, like, I, and I'm slightly embarrassed to say this, I was crying. That's the impact it had on me. <laughs> oh, you really cried? I, I was crying <laughs> a little bit. I was. I had some waterworks. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I know. Wow. I know. I it it didn't it wasn't I wasn't crying when it happened, but when they showed the cut up of him and his dad in '97, and then him and his kids now, that really struck struck a nerve. You know what? I you know what? Can we edit this out? I don't like this. I don't like this. You cried, bro. It's okay. Nothing wrong with showing your uh, feminine side. Nothing wrong with having your emotions. <laughs> you said, "Oh, uh, you cried." <laughs> do you think? Do you think I'm soft? Hey, man. Some some. some Different things move us, man. Different things move us. I thought it was a very special moment. It made it made my heart happy. Tiger coming back in the way he has is one of the most impressive stories in all of sports. It's why we love sports too, right? It's that drama. It's what captivates us. And it's so human, right? To fall as far as he did and to climb all the way back up the mountaintop to the apex of sports, winning the Masters, I mean, that's that's unprecedented. And as great as it was in 97 as a 21-year-old kid, the youngest ever to win the Masters, as great as that was, this is harder to do. This is harder to do. He, he has overcome so much, CJ. A back fusion, all the personal issues. It's simply sensational. So good on you, Tiger Woods. Yeah, he knew what was at stake. And I think we can all learn from this moment. We talk about pressure we talk about doubts we talk about anxiety we talk about all those things in normal human behavior especially in the sports world the, the arguably the greatest golfer of our generation you're talking about a guy who's been great dominant for 20 years won his first one in 96 we're now in 2019 and he's still winning to have doubts to question whether or not he's good enough to play the sport he's a master of to question whether or not he could win again to question whether or not he could you know, get back to that same level. To have those doubts as one of the greatest people in the world, great, uh, greatest golfers in the world, just kind of shows you that we all go through those those times where we second we second guess ourselves. We question whether or not we can do it. But it's all about sticking to it. It's all about understanding that we can overcome failure. You put your mind, your heart, your soul into it. Things can turn out the right way. You can overcome, you know, the bottom of the bottom and get back to the top. And I think this is a great story for for people out there understanding that. Tiger was written off years ago, not just by his peers, not just by the media, not just by his his sponsors. He was written off by everyone. He had, and that that gave him doubts about himself and who he was. But I'm I'm happy he was able to overcome it. It's a it's a great story about being able to rise, you know, out of a 
out of a tough situation, he rose to the top again. Do you think that he now feels freed up to go on another tear? Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, how does this play out for him? Obviously, we're not golf experts. I wish I was to know more about it. But I just wonder, like, how he feels now that he's gotten the monkey off his back and and that it's at the Masters of all places. I think this is going to open the floodgates. I think that he's about to be locked in. He's on a mission. You've seen what he said uh, when he was, I don't know, a third grader. You know, I'm going to I'm going to pass Jack Nichols. I'm going to pass Jack Nicholas. He said it on camera. He spoke that into existence. He has little ways to go to catch him, but I think that's in the back of his mind. I think that's what's going to drive him now. He wants to have the most jackets in the history of this sport. He wants to have the most majors. He wants to be the most recognizable golfer forever. Maybe he's going after his own iced tea. Yeah, yeah. the Arnold Palmer can be <laughs> the tiger. Maybe it's a, it's a, different, it's a different type, but... Uh, Man, wow! I uh, I was speechless. It's rare that as a sports fan you're speechless. What did what what did the reaction of the guys garner? Everybody was happy for him. Honestly, coaching staff included. No, they were watching and just kind of following. And once he puts that red on on Sunday, you know what time it is. You know it's game time. And I was fortunate enough to to see him play at the Bridgestone Invitational um, a few years back in Akron, and I had never been at a golf outing before. But to just to see the amount of People that follow him, the crowd he draws, you know, hold a hole, hundreds and hundreds of people chanting his name, following him, waiting at, you know, hole number seven, waiting at hole number nine, just spreading out and just trying to get a glimpse of him swinging one time. It's, it's unbelievable. It's one of the craziest spectacles I've ever seen at an event. And the, the, he has a cult following, literally. When he's good in golf, Everyone's engaged. People that don't even watch golf are tuning in just to see Tiger. Well, it's interesting now because all those young guys that grew up watching him and in awe of him, inspired by him, they have never seen the Tiger that that they watched. They have never played with him because the Tiger they've played with has been an afterthought in terms of winning championships. But now that he is in this position, you, like you said, he puts on the Sunday red – you could feel the other golfers tightening up. I mean, I don't think there's any question that the guys in his group, especially Molinari, that they started to really struggle as he started to make his push. It was it was like it was like they knew it was coming. It was the storm coming and they had to get out of the way because they I mean, it's intimidating. And all these young players that grew up watching him, the Justin Thomases, the Spees, the McElroy McElroy's, it'll be really cool to watch them now be on the same course as their hero, but have him be that threat again that he hasn't been over the last decade or so. Yeah, I'm I'm just really excited about uh, the future of sports in general, not just Tiger, but uh, football players are starting to get paid. You, know, you look at Russell Wilson's new contract. Shout out to Russell Wilson, man. Happy to see you, you know, securing your bag, 160 a hundred was it four years? One hundred and forty million. A hundred eighty-five guaranteed, right? At eighty-five guaranteed, sixty-five upon signing, no trade clause. I like it. I like it a lot, man. Congratulations, well deserved. Um, you've been able to do a lot of great things, not only on the field but in the community. And yeah, never been involved in any trouble. He carries himself the right way. Um, 
his work ethic is second to none, you know, based on, you know, what I've heard and his ability to transfer, you know, what he's seen in film to the actual field uh, is, is impressive. I misspoke, Very by the way. Impressive. So happy to see that go down, especially so close to, to Portland. $65 million guaranteed. At that level, I mean, it's all good. But did did you see his uh his announcement video with Ciara? Yeah, he had three, four chains on. He had the the, the bedroom voice on. That was hilarious. Very odd. Did you see his teammates re- reenact it? That's what was the best. Tyler Lockett and DJ Fluker reenacted it. DJ Fluker, who's probably three hundred and something pounds, he played Ciara, and Tyler Lockett played Russell. <laughs> And they were pretty good. That was a good imitation. <laughs> Though, see, CJ, I don't know. Those chains to me in the bedroom voice, I, 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 I really, like, that was all time. That was great. And there's no way he slept with all those chains on, for the record. No way. <laughs> so he put them on for the video. Then he took them off. Well, you don't, like, I have necklaces. There's one necklace I sleep in. I sleep in my, my small cross. But a lot of times I take it off because I don't want it to get tangled. And I want it to just be kind of like bunched around my neck. And then it's imprinted in your chest, depending on how you sleep, if you sleep on your chest or your side. And I just don't like my jewelry getting tangled while I'm sleeping, let alone four chains, <laughs> three chains, whatever it was. He was he was pretty uh, – that was a special video. I mean, I, I, I've never seen Russell in that light. The way he did it was just – Magical. It was very odd, but it was kind of cool. I didn't really know what to think of it. If you haven't seen it, please go watch it because it's Russell in a in a in a different light. Um, I must say, I was fired up. More show in a minute, but first, I want to take a second to talk about Untuck It. Ever wonder why traditional button ups look so long and baggy? That's because they were never meant to be worn that way. Untucked shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked. It's the original untucked shirt, a modern solution to an old problem with no tucking or tailoring required. No matter your size or shape, their shirts are the perfect untucked length. Have you been frustrated with shirt buying in the past? I know I have. And Untucked has changed the game for me. Untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. And with more than 50 Fit combinations, I never have to worry about repeating looks for post-game press conferences. You can try it on in person at one of Untuck's 50 stores or go to untuckit.com to get started. They even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. And you can save 20% on your first order by using my code PULLUP at checkout. That's untuckit.com, promo code PULLUP. Okay, back to the show. Last thing for me is uh, Robert Kraft. He received a massive standing ovation. At the Boston Garden, so much so that it dwarfed Larry Bird's ovation the same game, game one against – I'm serious. It really did. Uh, did you see this ovation, and what did you make of it? I didn't see it. I actually didn't watch the game. I think it was right before our game, so I wasn't able to, to see it. But it just shows you how much fans love the Patriots. Fans in Boston really love the Patriots. They're huge fans of them. Um, obviously Larry Bird is a legend, Larry legend. No, but Larry Bird, Larry Bird is Larry Bird, man. I mean, yeah, but it, Robert it's Kraft, in Boston, you're talking about Boston. You're talking about the Boston Celtics. They love football. They love the Celtics. Any other team or player from another organization or ownership position is going to be small in comparison to anything Boston. 
Yeah, but Robert Kraft is in the news for some very bad things right now. Yeah, but people, honestly, it sucks to say it, but... They don't care. This is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of world. And lately, the Patriots have been winning championships. And although he's done some things that are up for debate and considered criminal in some cases, he's, he hasn't <laughs> admitted to any guilt to any of it. No. And at some point, they, they may release a video. Okay, how about this then? If a video is released... Which, which would be very interesting. Yes. But if <laughs> I will a video not watch is re- it. Well, they, the police have said there's a pretty, like bad video out there they have said that now i don't know if that's true or if it's going to get released but if a video got released of robert Kraft doing what he's being accused of doing would that change celtics fans or patriots fans giving him that remarkable standing oh at the garden i think they would still cheer for him it just depends on the situation so here you have a man who supposedly paid for a service paid for a service too <laughs> that's one way to put it his, his argument is that he didn't know they were forced into work or labor or anything of that nature. He thinks that he was just paying for a service. The, the government is saying that there's like a big, a big situation where a lot of these women were kidnapped or, or forced into uh, sexual labor, slave labor, so to speak. So that's the real problem here, right? Because if he's just paying for a service, it's prostitution. Well, it's a completely different um, situation if they were forced into it and he had knowledge of it. Well, that's the problem is that um, none of I don't think this would have been coming coming into public light, but the FBI had a whole operation on this specific uh, b- business operation because they they knew some there was labor slave labor going on uh, or, or human trafficking right. going on. So that's. I mean, it was really bad timing for Robert Kraft, but but e- either way, man, the whole thing just really rubbed me the wrong way. It, I didn't like. I, I, I guess. Con on rubbed you the wrong way. <laughs> oh no, that's a good one. Yeah, it rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, thank you for that wonderful. Uh, <laughs> Too soon. Too wonderful soon. correlation from you. I, I'm really happy that you did that. Too soon. Now, now you're grouping I'm me sorry, in with. Man. You're, now you're grouping me in with Robert. I'm sorry, bro. All right. Uh, favorite favorite series to watch so far, man. Uh other than your series, though, I think Denver San Antonio has been pretty pretty good because the Nuggets are a two. They they get beat in their own building. Then they're down 19 in game two, and Jamal Murray goes crazy, and basically saves the Nuggets season. So. That series is really good. I think Toronto, Orlando, um, and then Philadelphia, Brooklyn, because as we talked about, there's a lot of side storylines there in that series. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So Celtics and Pacers are going to be playing tonight. You have Bucks Pistons tonight, which that series, if Blake Griffin doesn't return, is, is all but over. And you have the Rockets and Jazz series tonight, which could be interesting depending on how they decide to guard James Harden. Yeah, yeah. Well... 2-0 at OKC. I'm really uh I'm really fired up for game three, man. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to to watching some games and relaxing, putting my feet up. It's gonna be 
a nice couple days of rest before we we enter a hostile hostile environment. It, it really rubbed me the wrong way when when, when uh, Russell Westbrook and Dame were fighting. I didn't like how Russell pushed Dame. They were just having a little conversation. <laughs> what they're going to have for dinner? Exactly. <laughs> Where who who's got dinner tonight? Yeah, exactly. But you can catch us on Apple Podcast, radio.com backslash pull up with CJ or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up, pull up. <laughs>